This episode of That's What She Said podcast is brought to you by SarahCandles.com. Perfect gift for the holiday season. Go to the website CERACandles.com. Use the promo code GINO. Get you 10% off your entire purchase. Other sponsor, CindyCarava.com. Full service realtor, Cindy Carava can help you with all of your real estate needs. And shoot her an email at cindyc.realtor at gmail.com or find all the contact information at cindycarava.com. On this episode of That's What G Said, talk a little boxing with uh, Ruiz Joshua coming up on Saturday, December the 7th. There is a big week of NFL games. We're going to preview all the games and we'll give you our best bets and the recap. We're going to go through the first four episodes of The Mandalorian. You're a Mandalorian. I will help you. And then we'll do some horse racing for Saturday and Sunday, some best plays of the weekend. Don't go anywhere. December 6, 2019. Hope everyone's having a, a nice week into your weekend. We have a lot to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. Let's jump right on into it. A couple interesting fights this weekend. First off, I've been really kind of reinvigorated um, in the, the heavyweight boxing division right now. In boxing for such a long time, it's been like a weak, weak heavyweight division. And now it's just not the case at all. We have... You know, four or five pretty well-known fighters, um, and two of them are going to be having a big rematch this weekend. The other two, uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, they're scheduled to fight in February. And so this weekend, it's going to be Joshua versus Ruiz too. Remember, Joshua was your undefeated champ, and he's the real good-looking like model type um, from the UK, and he got knocked out by Ruiz. And Ruiz only had five weeks of notice after the original contender failed three drug tests. Ruiz stepped in, and in that first fight, Joshua actually knocked Ruiz down in round three. Ruiz back up, and he knocks Joshua out. So now the whole story of this fight, you have the super underdog Ruiz. If you haven't seen Ruiz, he weighs 283 pounds. He's actually the second... Heaviest defending heavyweight champion in history. He's up from the 268 he was when they fought uh, eight months ago. And on the flip side, Anthony Joshua lost 10 pounds from their first fight. The real, I guess, narrative in this fight is Joshua just lost his three belts. How is he mentally after the knockout? And is he really as good as he was touted? Or maybe was he beating up on some weak contenders? Can he beat the man who just put him down eight months ago? This fight is in Saudi Arabia. So it's not going to be, you know, I feel like there's not nearly as much pressure on someone like Joshua when they're in Saudi Arabia versus if this fight was in in the UK, if this fight was in uh, the United States somewhere. So the winner of this fight 
could fight the winner of Fury of Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder for a true undisputed champ of all four of the major belts. That's what's on the line here. So really interested in this fight on Saturday. Big, big heavyweight matchup. I mean, they're talking like if Joshua doesn't bounce back here, they talk about like he could be done. When you're a boxer, like a, a really good boxer, you get knocked out one time and that just changes everything. So make sure to tune in. Big fight this weekend. How about kind of a like a a circus sideshow fight? Former WWE champion Alberto Del Rio will be fighting in the MMA against Tito Ortiz, former WWE champ. This is from uh, Brian uh, Brent Brookhouse on CBSSports.com. I'm, I'm also a big fan of Brian Campbell on CBSSports.com. We've had him discussing wrestling before on uh, the Mike Abadir show, the other podcast I host. So former WWE champ Alberto Del Rio returns to the MMA for the first time since February 2010 to face legendary former UFC champ Tito Ortiz under the Combat America's banner. Uh this is just an interesting one. There's a lot of back and forth now based on the politics too because Tito Ortiz is a Trump supporter and so he's been talking about the wall and Del Rio is Mexican born so he's obviously a supporter of the open borders. It's 42-year-old Del Rio against 44-year-old Tito Ortiz. They're even going to have the the belts like the WWE Championship belt versus the UFC belt, I believe their own like their own versions of the belt. So this this should be something just to watch. I don't know if it's going to be a good fight or it, if this is going to last long at all. But it's definitely for publicity and it's definitely to try to get the Combat America's name a little bit out there. But something to maybe to watch on Saturday: Ortiz and Del Rio. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company, C E R A. Candle Company. The website is sarahcandles.com. Sarah means wax in Italian. Their goal was to create a candle 100% natural, clean burning, and of the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. Here's why Sarah Candles are the best. All natural soy wax, free from the toxins found in paraffin wax, which is used by other leading brands. All natural soy wax actually holds a scent longer and can burn up to 50% longer than the traditional paraffin wax candle. 100% lead-free cotton wicks, completely natural scents. They're made in micro-batches, hand-poured to ensure the highest quality. 100% locally sourced and handcrafted in the USA. They have 25 different scents available, three different sizes, fragrance oils infused with natural essential oils. This company uses the best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable prices, and longer-burning candles. None of those toxins, those carcinogens, those pollutants that are present in the paraffin wax. This was created by people who love candles. They started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle, and now they have blossomed into Sarah Candle Company. The research, they were able to discover the benefits of the all-natural soy wax. This is a perfect gift for someone. Make sure to use that promo code G-I-N-O. You will get 10% off of your purchase. And remember, like anything... You have to keep your candle clean. So they have instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn. When we're dealing with candles, we want it to be clean. We want it to be safe. So make sure to follow those instructions. They'll tell you how to trim the whip, the wick, uh, and to make sure you get the best burn possible. SarahCandles.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. Let's get into the NFL games for this week. 
it's scary because I love I love this week. There are a lot of games I really really like, which I don't know if that's going to be a positive uh, or, or a negative. <laughs> because sometimes doesn't it seem like when you really love the weekend, that's when you you have a lot of tough beats or uh, or maybe you're just a bit off. But nonetheless, let's storm through. We have 16 games on the slate because now all the buys are done. So every team playing this weekend, we just saw the Bears beat the Cowboys 31-24. So the Bears are in nice shape right now. Um, they, they're going to have to win some games against some of their tough opponents, but they at least have given themselves an opportunity to get back into the mix. Carolina at Atlanta. This game is minus three. Ron Rivera just got fired. This game is a real stay away game for me. I just can't get a feel for it. I don't know the motivation for either of these two teams. So I'm going to be steering clear of the Carolina-Atlanta game. Not the case with the Baltimore-Buffalo game. This game is at Baltimore minus six at Buffalo. Two really good teams. I mean, the Ravens are probably the best team in the league. And I think the Bills are actually underrated even with their 9-3 and record. The Bills have four pretty tough games. They have four games left, and three of them are pretty tough. Baltimore at Pittsburgh and at the Patriots still left. Early in the season, we were talking about the Bills, and we were using the DVOA rankings and some of the ratings. They were kind of a fluky team. They were 3-0. They were like one of the worst 3-0 teams. And every time they hit a mark, they were kind of historically one of the worst teams to be that good. The last five weeks, things have really changed. They lost to the Browns, but they're 4-1. They're up to number 9 overall in the league in weighted DVOA. They have the 6th best defense, and they have a top now the 19th best offense as the offense continues to improve. It's pretty crazy to think about. It's week 13. Everybody's played 12 games, and the Bills still have a chance for the number 1 overall seed in the AFC, and they can win the AFC East. Josh Allen... Just one interception in his last seven games. And that's the key for this team. When he plays average to above average and he doesn't hurt them, if he's not a detriment to them, they can beat you. They have a good enough defense. They have a solid running game. And I think they have enough playmakers out there. I feel like they're probably missing a number one wide receiver, right? Because if you could have John Brown as your two and then you could have Beasley as your possession your possession guy, and then I think Knox is really going to be a nice tight end. He's he's coming into stride, but they still feel like they're like a one playmaker away in general. I like them this week. Buffalo's 8-3-1 against the spread this year. They played Thursday on Thanksgiving, so they have some extra days off. They just beat Dallas, who is the number two ranked offense in DVOA. How about Baltimore? They were 2-2 two and two to start the season after their losses to the Chiefs and the Browns. They've won eight straight games since, including games against current playoff teams at Pittsburgh, at Seattle, the Patriots, the Texans, the 49ers, even the Rams who are just on the outside of the playoffs. They're a 7-5 and five team, and nobody says the Rams are just some awful bad team. They're at least an average to above average team. That's a nice eight-game winning streak. You play the Bengals twice, but then you play a bunch of other good teams. The Ravens are the number one overall ranked team in DVOA. They have the number one offense, the number four defense, and the number two special teams. They have an X-factor like Justin Tucker, who's kicked 37 straight fourth quarter field goals to go hit good field goals. He's made. He's 66 of 68 this year on extra points and field goals combined for a 971 percentage. Baltimore's remaining games at Buffalo, at uh, they play the Jets, at the Browns, and then the Steelers. 
was reading the Peter King article and he mentioned a couple plays that really sum up this this Bills team. They had a fourth and one against Dallas where they fumbled the snap. Allen picks it up and he runs for a first down. They run a trick play with John Brown where he throws a, a, a pass. And then John Brown picks up a big block on a Josh Allen run. So you see like a microcosm of this team is Allen able to kind of make a mistake but use his athleticism to fix the mistake. And then John Brown, the pass shows the coaching staff is willing to take some chances. And then just the fact that John Brown's picking up a block for Allen, this team seems like they like each other. They seem like they buy in. Remember last year or McDermott looked like he was getting rid of all of the skill players in 2017. This group for the bills had Tyrod Taylor, LaShawn McCoy, Kelvin Benjamin. They were 9-7, and seven and they made the playoffs that year. And then they regressed. Last year, they were 6-10. and 10. But what was happening was, you could see McDermott was getting his group. He was getting his guys. And now they're 9-3 and three this year. This is, a good, this is a good football team that is well-coached. They run the ball well. Not as well as the Ravens, but... You know, when we think of teams that run the ball well, we think of the Ravens. Lamar Jackson's got 977 yards rushing. Ingram has 837. And Edwards has 460. But the Bills are no slouch. They have three rushers over 400 yards. Allen has 430 yards. Gore has 552. And Singletary has 553. I like the Bills in here to cover this. If you can get the Bills plus the six, I'm fine with anything on the Bills down to plus five. I I think the Ravens are going to win this game. I think it's going to be tough. The Ravens are going to be beat up a little bit. They just played a really tough game against San Francisco, who's probably one of the best teams and and maybe the best defense in the entire league. I think Lamar got hit a little bit in that game. He's a little banged up. This, to me, looks like a spot where they're going to be a little bit flat. And I think they can still be flat and win the game. But I'm going to go with the Bills in here. My prediction is something like Ravens 23, Bills 20. No real opinion on the Cincinnati-Cleveland game. I, I would lean on the Browns side, but it's the same type of thing there. It's a it's a divisional game, but there's no pressure on the Browns anymore because they're basically out of the playoff picture now. It just feels like a stay away to me. Some of these games where I have where there are two teams and I'm just not sure what they're playing for, those are going to be some of the games where I stay away. So Cincinnati at Cleveland. Cleveland's minus seven right now. That's a stay away for me. Another stay away, uh, Washington at Green Bay. I'm going to stay away from the Detroit-Minnesota game too. They they were very similar, Washington at Green Bay and Detroit at Minnesota, right? You have the better team at home, and it's very a really similar line against teams that are just struggling right now, and we don't know what they're gonna, what we're going to get offensively from Washington. Is it, it's crazy. Washington is still alive for the playoffs. Like if they win out, and the Eagles beat the Cowboys and then lose their other games and Dallas loses the rest. Washington can still make the playoffs right now. They're at three and nine. Absurd. But I, I no no strong opinion. I think Green Bay will win. I think Minnesota will win. The one of the two that I I would lean against Minnesota if you're like feeling like you have to play a side in that game. But I just it's so hard to back Detroit. Minnesota comes off the tough game against Seattle. They have a short week now. Not sure what's going to be uh, going on with, with their running game with Cook. But Green Bay, Minnesota games, I'll stay away from those two. Same with the Miami and the Jets game, right? Miami at the Jets. It's a Jets minus five and a half. It's just 
What's your motivation? Is it just Gase trying to bounce back? Miami's been playing a little bit better. You could tell me anything happens in that game. It would not surprise me. Saints minus two and a half against the 49ers. These are two of, in my opinion, the five best football teams. And if you said that you thought these were like two of the three best teams in football, I wouldn't disagree with you. They are two 10 and two teams, well-balanced, two excellent coaches. I think you would put the coaching staff right there in that top five to top 10 as well. San Francisco is number two in weighted DVOA overall. They are number two in defense and number nine in offense. How about the well-balanced Saints? They're number five. They have the fifth-ranked offense, the seventh-ranked defense, and the fifth-ranked special teams. This is a huge game for both of these teams because the Saints are the current number one seed in the NFC. The 49ers are the current number five seed in the NFC. They need to win and keep winning if they want to have an opportunity to be the number one overall seed. What's scary is that the 49ers are still actually second in their current division because they lose the tiebreaker to Seattle. Now, they do have another game coming up with Seattle, and and things can change. I think this is going to be an excellent game. I think it's going to be back and forth. I think we're going to see some of the strengths and weaknesses from both of these teams. I don't think there's going to be a blowout either way. The Saints have the division wrapped up, but they cannot afford to lose this game and drop out of the number one seed. Look at the 49ers stretch of games they've just played. They played Green Bay and beat them up. Then they had to go play at the Ravens. Then they play at the Saints. They still have the Rams and the Seahawks left. And and the Falcons. Probably their one poor game in a stretch of like five that look really tough. In particular, you have the back-to-back road games. And so the same reason, for some of the same reasons I'm playing against the Ravens, I feel like that game, the 49ers-Ravens game, probably took a little bit out of both of those teams because they were so high. They were so up for that game. We talk about the 49ers defense, but how about the Saints defense, who is you know a top se- top seven defense right now? They hit or pressured Matt Ryan on 37 of 59 pass drops, just 4.1 yards per play. They forced two fumbles, two interceptions, and they had nine sacks. And then you have an X factor like Taysom Hill. You have to mention he had a rushing TD, a, t- a touchdown reception, and a block punt all in the first half. And then the 49ers, could you have played any better against the Ravens? They made a few mistakes early. And, um, you know, you look at it, those mistakes are really what ca- what capitalized on them. And the 49ers don't make a ton of mistakes, but there was a Garoppolo fumble and then two roughing the passer penalties. And the, the Ravens got 17 points off of those three, I guess we want to say hiccups. Then the 49ers shut them down. Like both defenses shut each other down in the second half. There was only a field goal in that 49ers-Ravens game in the second half. And that was the game-winning field goal. So... The 49ers have two losses. They lost by a field goal to the Ravens and in overtime to Seattle. I just have to lean Saints at two and a half. If this was three and a half, or if you get a three and a half line somewhere, I'd play the 49ers. At three, to me, that looks what it's going to be. I think this is a field goal game. But if you find two and a half, that's where I lean Saints in here. Because I think the Saints have some slight advantages. I don't think they're a better team. But remember, the Saints played on Thanksgiving. They have a couple. They have nine days to prepare. A couple extra days off after the 49ers just played in a tough weather, really tough football game. We don't know about Tart, Jones, Sherman, Taylor. They're a little banged up. The offensive line for New Orleans is banged up also. Like I don't, I don't think this is going to be any domination either way. And I know my good friend Stan Ware out there is going to say, Gino, you always hate the 49ers. You pick against them. I definitely don't uh, hate them. I've picked against them, I think, more. And I haven't really played them a lot because the games where I think they're going to win, I just kind of stay away. 
But on a neutral field, I'd pick the 49ers against the Saints. And if it was a playoff game where they're coming, that both teams are coming off a bye or both teams are coming off a, a game the week before, I'd probably go 49ers. But with the, the few small factors, the tough part of the schedule for San Francisco, I'm going Saints in here, minus the two and a half. The 49ers are 4-0 in their last four against the spread as road dogs. The Saints are 9-1 straight up, 8-2 against the spread in their last 10 overall, but they're only 2-7 against the spread as home favorites. Something's got to give a little there. Saints 27, 49ers 24. That's the prediction. Next play for me. Colts at Tampa. You can find Tampa at up at minus 3.5 places, and that just to me is way too high. Let's find the Colts at plus 3.5 I think the Colts are the much, much better team. They're coming off just a brutal loss, and they've been struggling as of late. And Tampa's coming off back-to-back wins. Tampa beat Atlanta. Remember a couple weeks ago when Atlanta was an absolute no-show after Atlanta had just defeated Carolina and New Orleans? And they just didn't show up at all in, in that Tampa game? And then last week, Tampa is up huge early, but when you really dig into it, it was completely because of Foles. Foles has looked atrocious. Tampa was able to take advantage of Foles just giving them the ball repeatedly. The first three drives, Jacksonville had three turnovers. Full with with two fumbles and an interception. And he also had three, he was sacked three times in just the first half before they pulled Foles. I like to play Tampa when they're a dog. I don't like to play them when they're home. They are 2 and 6 against the spread in their last 8 as a favorite. They are 8 and 20 in their last 28 as a home favorite, and they are 0 and 5 against the spread in their last 5 home games. Whereas the Colts, they are 6-2 and 1 in their last 9 road games against the spread. Look at the Colts losses this year. Now, when Andrew Luck went down before the season started, if you would have said the Colts are 6 and 6 right now and they've had injuries to Brissett Hilton, Mack, offensive line, defensive line, Leonard, throughout their defense, Campbell, uh, Rodgers, Funchess, all their wide receiving core. You'd have taken the 6-6, and right? But when you watch their games, they could legitimately have one, two, zero losses if they just played cleaner and we talk about them as a really well coached football team I like Frank Reich a lot and I do think a lot of the injuries have had issues and and cost them some games but what's really cost them games is the kicking and there will be no Vinatieri around this week Uh, Vinatieri has an injury so the Colts claimed a new kicker this is the Colts losses this year they are six and six they lost 30 to 24 week one against the Chargers Vinatieri was one for three on field goals one for two on extra points in the 31-24 loss to the Raiders, Vinatieri was 1-for-2 on field goals. In the 26-24 loss to the Steelers, Brissett got hurt, and Vinatieri was 1-for-2 on field goals, 1-for-2 on extra points. He missed a go-ahead field goal from 43 yards with a minute and 14 left in the game to put them ahead. In the 16-12 loss to the Dolphins, that was a game where I'll kind of give them a mulligan because they had Hoyer starting, who's now, what, your third-string quarterback? Vinatieri missed an extra point in that game. 2017, tight loss to the Texans in a divisional game. Nothing surprising there. But then the last loss, 31-17 to the Titans. So you look on paper and you go, oh, the Titans beat him up, right? No, not at all. Vinatieri was one for four on field goals. He had two blocked. The Colts had more total plays, more first downs, 
more total yards, more yards per play. They were better on third down. They won the time of possession battle, 32 minutes to 27 minutes, but they had three turnovers and three missed field goals. That's why the Colts didn't win. They were better. They played better. They had five sacks at halftime. They were up 17-7 on the Titans. And Vinatieri had the opportunity to put the Colts ahead with five minutes left to go in the game. He has 14 missed kicks on field goals and extra points this year. He's 39 of 53, 736 percentage. So Chase McLaughlin going to be the new Colts kicker. And the Colts might be getting some reserves back. Perhaps Marlon Mack, Paris Campbell. They need a little help for some of the position players. That, that game last week, Colts made it into the Titans 44 times in the uh, in five first half possessions and they had 10 points. And now with Brissett, he's had a couple bad throws last week. He still he might still be banged up. If his first read is there, he's not that great. Is he the guy? Are we okay with him as a franchise quarterback? The Colts gave up one good drive on defense last week. They gave up a field goal on a non-drive, which was a turnover, a deep play touchdown, and then they only had two other plays of 20 plus yards that they gave up. We're all over the Colts this week. You can find plus three and a half somewhere. I'm fine with plus three. Uh, I like the Colts. I just think they're the better team and I don't like playing Tampa when they're a favorite. I like playing them when they're kind of the feisty underdog and they have no pressure on them. Broncos at Texans. I will make this a play. I think the Texans win this game. Won't spend as much time on this one as some of the other plays, but mainly I just think the Texans are Coming off a, a win, we all saw them beat the Pats. Nash, it was nationally televised game. They're one in five, the Texans, in their last six against the spread as a home favorite. And the Broncos are four and one against the spread in their last five. I think this is just going to be a closer game. It, I think Texans probably win this game by a field goal, but at nine and a half, that's just too much for me. So I, I'll take the plus nine and a half with the Broncos. I'm fine with plus nine. Even eight and a half, I'm okay with. I wouldn't want to go much less than eight, though, uh, on the Broncos side. So we'll take the Broncos. Look for that plus nine and a half if you can find it out there. Chargers minus three at the Jags. Why are the Chargers favored in this game? Jacksonville's been miserable their last three games, right? That was Foles. Minshew starting now. And Minshew, Minshew is a young, excited rookie. He wants to get this team playing well. They were playing very well for him with Minshew. Under Minshew, the defense played better. Minshew can scramble and move around a little bit more. He's a little bit less of a just a standing statue back there in the pocket. If Foles wasn't the quarterback the last few weeks, and this was just Minshew, and let's say they they go one and two over the last couple weeks, and they're they're not they're not great, but they're just not miserable. This line wouldn't be Chargers minus three. It would be a lot closer to even. And we're not going to get Foles in here. The Jags have lost four in a row. They got beat up in London by the Texans. And then the three full start that they lost. He was 7 for 14 for 93 yards with an interception and two fumbles in the first half. He got sacked three times. I like the Jags in here at home. Plus the three. Titans at the Raiders. Titans minus three. And I'm going to go to the Raiders in here. Josh Jacobs is playing through a shoulder fracture. That concerns me a little bit. And without Renfro around, it seems like the Raiders are missing a weapon or two that they really need. 
Remember, they were 6-4. and four. They were heading to play the Jets as a three-point favorite. They were in great shape for an AFC wild card. And since then, they have had two miserable losses. 34-3 to the Jets, and then 40-9 at Kansas City. They've had five turnovers and just one takeaway. Last week, they had 12 penalties. They fumbled a kick return. They had an extra point return for two. The Chiefs' first two drives were in Oakland territory after Raiders' turnovers, and they had a missed field goal. But they actually had held the ball for over 17 minutes. They had outgained the Chiefs in the first half, 189 yards to 127, and they were down 21-0. Mistakes, weather, car was really, really bad. They they hurt themselves quite a bit. And Carr is 0-6. He's 0-6 against Kansas City at Arrowhead. He's 0-5 when the temperature is below 40. And he's 1-9 when the temperature is below 45. Not going to be the case as the Raiders head back home. And they're going to be playing a hot Titans team. They are 5-1 since Tannehill took over. The last three games, they've scored 35, 42, and 31 points. They've scored 29.7 points a game since Tannehill took over compared to the 16.3 before when Mariota was quarterbacking them. So they've almost doubled their points per game since Tannehill took over. How about Derrick Henry? He had 149 yards last week. This is the first time in 30 games that the Colts allowed a 100-yard rusher. His last three games, he's had 188, 159, and 149 yards. He's had 500 yards in the last three games. He's had He's been the top rusher in the league each week. And his last 16 games, this is a field Yates stat, 319 carries, which is first. 1,725 yards rushing, which is first. 5.41 yards per carry. 18 rushing touchdowns, which is first. 20 receptions, 221 yards, 2 touchdowns receiving. And 1,946 total yards, which is second over that time period. He's also first in yards after contact. But the Raiders at home. They are 5-1 and one straight up. They are 4-2 and two against the spread. And when you go even farther back, they're 7-2 and two against the spread over their last nine. 6-1 and one against the spread in their last seven as home underdogs. And this is the type of game that as a gambler, I, I like to play. You're playing a team that looked bad in the last few weeks. And you're playing against a team that's looked pretty good. But when you dive into it, we went all through that Colts-Titans game last week. The Titans shouldn't have won. And so their their reputation's a little inflated coming off a win, a 31-17 win that they shouldn't have even had. That 31-17 just does not tail the tail as the Colts were kicking a field goal with 5 minutes and 12 seconds left to go in the game to take a lead. That field goal got blocked and then an interception by Brissett. So instead of being down 20-17, to they're up 31-17. The Titans have a big game at home against the Texans next week. Could they get caught looking ahead in here? They still have two games remaining with the Texans. I think so. Raiders 24, Titans 20. Let's go with the Raiders. Chiefs at Pats. I mentioned this is a great week. I mean, between Baltimore, Buffalo, 49ers, Saints, Chiefs, Pats, And you have Seattle Rams coming up a little bit. That's like four marquee games. Patriots are minus three at home against Kansas City. The Patriots are 21-0 straight up in their last 21 home games. 16-5 against the spread in those 21. There's just kind of some bad energy all around the Patriots right now. They don't have any playmakers. Brady looks frustrated. 
They had a weird play last week where they lined up to go for two. They took a delay of game, and then the kicker missed the extra point. They've had kicking issues all year, and they're not just barely losing games. They got beat up by Baltimore. They got beat up by the Texans. It's not Brady, though. This is where we all, the Pats done, is Brady done? Brady's actually been fine. Pro Football Focus in their passing grades for quarterbacks, they have him with an 80. The highest quarterback passing grade is a 90. So Brady's ranked actually number 10 overall. He's only behind Wilson, Breeze, Cousins, Lamar, Rodgers, Stafford, Dak, Deshaun Watson, and then Carr, who's actually had a pretty good season up until his last two games. Basically what Pro Football Focus was saying is that Brady's still an above average quarterback and still a good quarterback, but he just can't carry them anymore. He can't go above and beyond anymore as he's getting a little bit older. Remember, he was one that was pushing for Antonio Brown behind the scenes because Brady knows there aren't playmakers out there. Let's use this as an example. Kansas City playing against the Pats. If we were doing a draft of just the skill players, so let's say wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs from the Patriots and from Kansas City, how many Chiefs players would you pick before you picked one from the Pats? I mean, I'm going Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, maybe LaShawn McCoy, maybe Williams, and then I'm going to get to Edelman, who is just a possession receiver. Then I'm going to get to maybe James White, who's good coming out of the backfield. Doesn't really give you a whole lot between the tackles. Sanu. Think about it. The Patriots just don't have a lot of playmakers out there. Their last four games, they have three of them at home. So that's what's going to make things a little easier for the Patriots. They play Kansas City this week. Then they play at the Bengals. They play Buffalo and then Miami at home. Kansas City's final four at the Patriots. Broncos at the Bears, which looks like a tougher game now than it did a few weeks ago. And then the Chargers. I mean, we all talk about how bad the NFC East is, right? With Dallas and with the Eagles. The Patriots were able to kind of just squeak by the Eagles who were banged up and they just lost to Miami. And then the Cowboys was a close game back and forth where if it's not for Jason Garrett mistakes, the Cowboys beat the Patriots in that game. And then the Cowboys just got beat up by Buffalo. Now, all that being said, the Patriots still only have two losses. And they are the three-point favorite in here. And that's that's the key number at three or plus three, plus three and a half, I'm taking the Chiefs though. I think this will be one more game where the Patriots struggle and then I think they'll come back and they'll play three good weeks in a row and then we'll kind of all forget about this little blip in in this part of the season. But they're, they need to stay close to Baltimore They don't Baltimore because they don't want to go on the road. Chiefs just beat the Raiders 40-9. to nine. They, uh, they, you know... I think it's a combination of their defense played okay, the Raiders played really poorly, and Kansas City just took advantage and did what a good team does. You just score when you get the opportunity to and put them away. They had two interceptions. The Raiders had two interceptions. The Chiefs forced a fumble on a kick return. They had four offensive touchdowns. But what I like the most, no turnovers, no penalties. That was coming off a bye. This team is finally healthy now. And I think Andy Reid has them firing on all cylinders. They're kind of flying under the radar, aren't they? We're all talking about Lamar because he's been incredible. We're all talking about Russell Wilson. He's been excellent. We're talking about the 49ers. They've been playing well. We're talking about the Cowboys drama and, and is, are they going to you know fire their coach? And nobody's talking about the Chiefs. Mahomes had an injury and he hasn't been as dominant throughout this year. Even before he was banged up, he still wasn't quite Mahomes, but 
that doesn't really matter anymore. He's healthy. He has playmakers now. He has his receivers back to the point where it, we're not starting just uh, next man up. This Chiefs team, they beat Baltimore earlier in the year when they were healthy. And the Chiefs could be very scary down the stretch. They are the number four overall team in DVOA. They have the number three offense, the number 15 defense, so their defense isn't really bad. And they have the number four special teams. In a tight game, I'm leaning Kansas City because in particular, they're playing better. But if it's tight, I'm concerned about the Patriots kicking issues. Kansas City 24, Pat or Kansas City 27, Pats 24. That's what I'm gonna say. 27-24, KC. We're leaning KC in this one. Pittsburgh minus three at Arizona. Hey, if you can get three and a half, look for it because we like Arizona in here. Arizona's coming off a bad, bad loss. They've actually lost five straight, but in those five, they're actually two, two, and one against the spread. Pittsburgh just won against the Browns. They're the current AFC number six seed, which is unbelievable. And we have to give credit to Mike Tomlin because with all the injuries Pittsburgh has dealt with, Roethlisberger, they in losing Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell in the offseason. And then you have Roethlisberger banged up right off the bat. And, and now you're playing your who was actually your fourth string quarterback at the beginning of the year because your second string wasn't good and you got rid of your third stringer. They have no Juju Smith out there. James Conner isn't out there. They're down to, you know, third and fourth string receivers and running backs. Yet their defense plays well and they continue to find a way to win games even if it's been a little fluky. Even if they've been the beneficiary of some luck and some other teams that really couldn't put the foot on their throat down the stretch. Arizona just got crushed by the Rams. They played well against the 49ers though. What I like to hear was reading uh, Kyler Murray's quotes after the game and about losing and he said he's just not used to this he does not like this and everything that I've read is that all week long he seemed very motivated to play better this week and I think they will do that I think they're going to play much much better this week they're gonna have to because Pittsburgh defense is very good but offensively we're gonna have Duck Hodges on the road here I don't think they should be a road favorite or at least a three-point road favorite so I'm taking the cards plus the three at home and I'm even thinking about taking some Cardinals money line Seattle at the Rams. This game is now up to Rams minus one. In their first game, remember, the Rams were going to beat Seattle in Seattle, and Zierlein missed a 44-yard field goal with 15 seconds left. Seattle's won five in a row this year. They're off another big victory against uh, Minnesota on Monday night, but now Seattle has to deal with a short week against a rival who wants revenge, and they're going on the road. When we think of the Rams, we I think we still think of them as the really good offense from last year. We're not thinking of them as a a juggernaut defense where they have the number five defense ranked in DVOA. Seattle has the number four offense, so something's got to give in here. Seattle is currently leading the NFC West. They are the number two seed in the NFC, and they have the tiebreaker over the 49ers. Their final four games at the Rams, at the Panthers, versus Arizona, and then versus the 49ers to close things out. Seattle scored 27 second half points against the Vikings last week to come back and win that game. The Rams are 7-5 and five now. They're coming off their best game of the year. They played pretty well against Atlanta, but I think it was against the Cardinals where they, they really, really just shut them down and their offense started to, to click. When you look at the Rams, they haven't even really played well against bad teams most of the year. They ran the ball well, so that's what I'm expecting. More girly. McVay mentioned that he has been a stupid coach for not using him more. 
In their last two wins, Gurley has had 19 carries for 95 yards against Arizona and 25 carries for 97 yards against the Bears. He also had three receptions for 36 yards that day. You gotta give Gurley the rock because otherwise it puts too much pressure on Jared Goff. And we've seen that Jared Goff with pressure, actual game pressure and pressure from the defensive line, he's not good. Jared Goff, when he has time to throw, he's an excellent quarterback. He looks so much better this week. Did they figure something out with the balance? He had 424 yards passing. He had 323 yards at halftime. 74% completions, zero turnovers. Even in the what seems like a struggled year, the Rams are 8-4 and four against the spread. Seattle, though, is 4-0 against the spread in their last four and 6-1 and one against their spread in their last seven road games. I still like the Rams in here. We're going to go Rams 27, Seattle 20. I think Seattle comes out a little bit flat this week after playing. Um, they've they've kind of Houdinied a lot of games this year where it's like, well, how does Seattle win that game? And it, a lot of times it's Wilson, but it's hard to do that every single week, especially against a rival who's, you know, hell-bent for some revenge after they missed a field goal and should have beat you first time through. And the Rams have to win now. They, they, they really have to win out. Seattle has a little bit more leeway, especially because they still have the game coming up with the 49ers. So they could lose beat the 49ers, and they have the tiebreaker in the division. Let's go Rams, 27-20. Final game, no real thoughts on the Giants-Eagles game. It's going to be Eli Manning uh, back after Daniel Jones is banged up. The Eagles still have a major shot to host a playoff game. I mean, they're 5-7, and seven, and they have four games left that are super winnable. But how can we expect anything from the Eagles when they're losing to teams like Miami? They've got two games coming up against the Giants, one at the Redskins, and then against Dallas. And that game against Dallas is probably going to be for the division. Let's go through the plays uh, one more time for you, the the recaps. But before we do, I want to mention one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Thrive Fantasy. A lot of you are gamblers. You're listening to this point. You like to play. I'm sure you played different types of wagers, right? And Maybe you play fantasy football. Maybe you play wagers. You, you bet a lot of prop bets. Thrive Fantasy combines the two. It is daily fantasy for prop bets. So, for example, there will be a prop that'll say Tom Brady will throw for 250 yards, over or under. Over will be 100 points, under will be 80 points. That's how you build your lineup. You pick 10 of the props they have, and then you pick two in case of emergency props, and so your lineup will be based on how many points each of those props gives you. I vetted them. I went and played in a bunch of these contests myself. I won some money a few times. I was able to withdraw money. That's my biggest concern with a lot of uh, different sites. I want to know how reputable they are. Uh, Are they going to give me my money back quickly? I got the money sent to me in PayPal right away. Uh, I'm a big fan of Thrive Fantasy. You'll see me on there as that's what G said. Now, I'm going to be able to give you a little bit of a bonus too. If you use the promo code GINO, G-I-N-O, you will get a $10 credit in your account when you deposit 10. So you're probably listening and you're like, I don't know what this is. Maybe this sounds kind of like something I might like. If you have 10 bucks to spare, go download the app, deposit your 10 bucks. It'll actually become 20 because they're going to credit you another 10 because you use that promo code GINO. Don't forget, use that promo code. And if you have any questions, shoot me a message. I can help you out. Thrive Fantasy. Don't forget promo code GINO, $10 deposit. Hey, I actually get a chunk of that when you deposit. It comes right back into my my pocket. So if you want to help out, you want to put a little food on Milo's table, go to Thrive Fantasy, download the app, 
Deposit 10 bucks. Use the promo code G-I-N-O. Recap of this week's plays. We're going to go Buffalo. So we're 39-35 and 35 in the NFL heading into this week overall. Slightly over 500. What's been positive for us is that we play some money lines, so it's more than just 39 and 35. We probably have four or five positive money line wins in that also. So the pocketbook is doing okay in, in that sense. Buffalo plus the six. Saints minus two and a half. Colts plus three and a half. Broncos plus the nine and a half. Raiders plus three. Jags plus three. You know, in both of those games, if you wanted to play a little money line, and even in the Colts game, if you wanted to play a little money line, I'm not talking you off it. I'm playing the money line in the cards game and the cards plus the three. Rams minus one. Chiefs plus three. It is scary that we have that many plays, but that's the thing. Some weeks, there's only going to be one game that you like. Other weeks, there's going to be a bunch. So if you trust in your skills and the research that you've done and your handicapping, if you like all 16 games one week, that's fine. As long as you know that you're probably not going to like, you know, three next week. So as long as there's a, it evens out. I just don't, I don't ever try to play every game, every week, every race, every week. You're never going to be able to win. But some days you're going to like them all. Others, you won't. Find that that balance. Buffalo plus six, Saints minus two and a half, Colts plus three and a half, Broncos plus nine and a half, Raiders plus three, Jags plus three, Cards plus 125 money line, and the plus three, Rams minus one, Chiefs plus three. So I've been watching on uh, Disney Plus, The Mandalorian. And I've been a, a pretty big fan of this series. It's Now, five episodes through, I'm going to talk about the first four because the fifth just dropped last night. This is the Disney Plus streaming service. The show started on November the 12th. And Pedro Pascal, who was Oberyn Martell in Game of Thrones, he plays the Mandalorian, who's a lone Mandalorian gunfighter operating in the outer reaches of the galaxy. This has got a really good cast, too. Uh, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad, Giancarlo Esposito's in the mix, Gino, Gina Carano, Carl Weathers, Nick Nolte has a really good... Oh, you're a Mandalorian. I will help you. I love the Nick Nolte character. So a Mandalorian is a mysterious lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy. Some might say he has questionable moral character. I like the tone of this. It is just a little bit different. It's not exactly what you see in, in, in Star Wars, but there are so many different like hidden Easter eggs in here. Um, the company has uh, Disney Plus has also announced the seventh season of the Clone Wars and a Rogue One prequel series coming up. And there's also going to be Ewan McGregor returning as Obi Wan in a new show that will be uh, starting in 2020. This show, The Mandalorian, is set seven years after the Return of the Jedi, 23 years before The Force Awakens. And it focuses in on all new characters. The show is similar to the original trilogy. It, um, This is a quote from uh, one of the directors, Waidi, who said, The show is similar to the original trilogy, and he had to curb the signature comedic instincts that he used in Thor Ragnarok as he directed this episode. Star Wars, you know, is just very different to the Marvel style. He said, They know... That whatever was set up in the tone of the first films really should be adhered to. And that's what the fans like. And you can't really disrespect it. I guess it's a nice way of saying it. Can't have too many jokes. But there's a little bit. And there is some fun in here. And the show reveals 
how the galaxy allowed the first order to rise from the ashes of the empire and talks and things get all messy in the outer reaches of the galaxy. Mandalorian is actually a human from the outer rim, the world of Mandalore. So that's like their nationality, uh, Mandalorian. So as far as diving into the episodes in particular, like what we've seen so far, it looks and it feels like Star Wars. This is the first Star Wars live action TV series. And it's, think about the the bar, the cantina that we see in Star Wars A New Hope. It's this is this is like that world. This is the seedy underbelly. Seven years after Return of the Jedi, Empire has fallen, chaos throughout the universe. We don't know the morals of the Mandalorian, but we find through the first few episodes he actually does have a moral code. He wants to keep his band of fellow Mandalorians together, but there's desperate times, economic troubles, everybody needs money. He has to accept shady jobs and deal with shady people. And that's where we meet him right off the bat. We see one of the jobs that uh, that he's taken to go pick up a bounty. And he has all these different, um, I guess, targets that have been frozen. Similar to how Han Solo was frozen when he was brought back to Jabba the Hutt. So he takes a, a, a job to secure a target. And this is reportedly a big, big job. This is going to be a huge return for him. If he is able to get this job done. And the job is. Securing the baby Yoda. The child. They're calling him baby Yoda. But he's not really baby. Because he's 50 years old. And he goes to find. And he has to learn to ride a blurg. Has to deal with the droid bounty hunter. Who is set to kill the baby Yoda. The child. And he gets help from the Nick Nolte voiced character. Lots of inside jokes. Lots of easter eggs. What I like about this show is they take their time. They're not hitting you over the face with anything. They're in no rush to give you all of the answers about the story. We really don't know, even through the first episode, who is he? Why is he this way? We move on to episode two, and we see Mando, the Mandalorian, with the child. And the Mandalorian is trying to get his package, the bounty that he uh, he picked up now, back to the client. And he's attacked by a couple other bounty hunters. And that's when the child, the baby Yoda, shows some of his powers. He helps Mandalorian in battle. And he helps to heal him afterwards. And while this is happening, the Mandalorian ship gets stripped by a bunch of those crazy little Jawas. And he takes down a few of them. There's a cool scene where he's walking with a a great background setting. Very similar to the Star Wars setting in, in A New Hope. Um... We we hear from Favreau who, who wrote this. Lots of Western themes, samurai motifs. There's a ton of different influences in this show. A big fight with a, a huge monster. And the child saves him again. But when he uses his powers, the baby Yoda, the child, it drains him. As we've seen with Yoda through the years. The Mandalorian had to get the monster's egg... To make a deal with the Jawas so he could get the parts back for his ship. And so when he does, he, he kills the monster, he brings the egg back, and all the Jawas wanted to do was just crack the egg open and eat it. So, silly little Jawas, he basically risked his life to go get this egg, and all the Jawas wanted was a snack. That's that's pretty much episode two. And then episode three, the Mandalorian, he takes the child back to the client, but the child and the Mandalorian have developed a bond, and the child does not want to leave the Mandalorian. The client has some plans, and... He obviously wants to do something with the child. 
So the client pays a Mandalorian the, the bounty. Mando asks what the plans are for the child, but he gets no real answers. It's against the code to ask any questions about a bounty. He takes the payment. He leaves. So buy Baby Yoda. Or so we thought. The Mandalorian takes the money to a place, an underground lair with other Mandalorians, and he uses it as a payment to get new and upgraded armor and weapons. And we see some flashbacks of the Mandalorian's childhood, and we're starting to get some backstory now in in episodes three and four of who is this guy? Why is he this way? How did he become this? Carl Weathers' character tells us that now, since he secured the bounty, everyone hates the Mandalorian. He closed the deal on the richest payment that this Parsec had ever seen. But no time to waste. Mandalorian's ready for his next job. And he asks for what's next. He goes out on his next job, but he starts to think twice. There's a moment where he remembers the child, and you can see him wondering, and you can see him missing him. And so he goes back for the child. He's able to listen in on the client, and the client talks about extracting something from the child, which the child may not survive. So the Mandalorian goes looking for him. He finds the bassinet, which the baby Yoda had been just kind of floating around in throughout. There's a bassinet that he just sitting floating in all over the place. And the baby Yoda child is on an operating table in some sort of machine. Mandalorian's able to get him and fight off a bunch of stormtroopers in this epic battle using all of his new toys, his new gear, his new armor, his new tools. And the other Mandalorians, when he looks like he's a in extreme peril and in the worst spot ever, the other Mandalorians, they come to his rescue. They all stick together. This is the way. That's their creed. And you hear them say that repeatedly. This is the way. And so now they have bought time and given the Mandalorian a chance to escape with the baby, with the child. But he knows that they're looking for him and and people will be coming to find him. So in episode four, they head to Sorgon. They're trying to lay low. Um, They're looking for a small planet, a quiet planet. And this is the one they find just mainly fishing folk. (laughs) This gray is the child... uh, is playing around the the relationship between the Mandalorian and the child now starts to become great. You could see that they they have an affinity for each other, and that the child really he's playing around with all the controls like a little kid, and he's he keeps doing things that Mandalorian asks him not to, and it, it's it's a real adorable relationship that they have. So they land on Sorgon, and the child attached to the hip of the Mando. And the Mando goes to inspect the planet. He finds a woman. He gets his ass kicked. It ends up being Gina Carano, who's a former shock trooper. And they, you know, start to talk and they become friends. <laughs> and the child shows up, is watching, eating some soup. One thing about Mandalorians is they are not allowed to remove their helmet or their armor in front of somebody else. And so we we hear the story, you know, he can't eat or drink or anything in public in front of anyone or else he's not allowed to put that armor back on he is packing up his ship to leave finds out that he doesn't think this is the best planet for them to lay low on and some of the locals ask him to do a job and ex- and they give him shelter on a really really remote farm in exchange for helping out he agrees he goes and gets his, his buddy uh, Kara the Gina Carano character to help him out and so they get to the this little 
farming village And a nice woman named uh, Omera sets up the lodgings And her son starts to play with the child And they, Baby Yoda loves this, this village and all the kids in here And we, we see the Mandalorian And we hear him mention some of his story His parents were killed uh, The Mandalorians took him in when he was a child And they took care of him And since then he embraced their way of life And he has not shown his face to anyone since then When he was a child So the farm They're dealing with with a a group of raiders Constantly And so that's what they asked the Mandalorian to help them with This group of people who is continually raiding their village So as a Mandalorian and Kara Are walking around trying to figure out what to do They find an Imperial walker A huge one left over That the raiders use Against the village And so Mandalorian and Kara They decide to help the villagers They hatch a plan to destroy the Imperial Walker And they train some of these villagers So they know how to fight They're able to lure out this big Imperial Walker And uh, draw it into the water And blow it up It's a really cool battle where the villagers are fighting And they're shooting guns And it's just a small battle compared to the grand scale of, Of ones we've seen in Star Wars But it feels like a Star Wars battle And it's a real good action scenes. The action scenes are excellent all throughout this show So after the battle, Omera She wants the Mandalorian to stay He looks around and he sees the child Loves it in the village There's uh, obvious chemistry between Mando and Omera Child loves to play with the kids And the Mandalorian's thinking about Leaving the child there You know, He, he has business to take care of His life is not a life that he should be bringing a, a little child species with him all over the place This infant baby Yoda So he decides to leave baby Yoda there And as he's getting ready to go A bounty hunter shows up With a device looking to kill the baby Yoda So at that moment Mando realizes he can't leave this this child anywhere now He's basically become the protector of this child After k- kidnapping him And so he has to pack up the ship and bring Baby Yoda with him It's kind of sad because it feels like a place where the Mandalorian could really enjoy his life And and we know that the, the child would love it there with the other kids But they have to stay on the move So that's the first four episodes kind of overall of the Mandalorian We'll get, uh, we'll talk about episodes five and six next week after the, uh they, they've released episode 6 I figured we'd give everyone a little while to watch episode 5 Because it just came out literally hours ago Final segment will be horse racing Before we get into the, the racing action want to talk to you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast Cindy Carava So make sure you get to CindyCarava.com right now Full service realtor Cindy Carava can help you with anything you need Process of moving, relocating If you're looking in Improving your house um, If you know you're looking for some sort of Vendors like handymen Painters, landscapers She can help you out Purchasing, leasing, selling Any of that stuff Maybe you need help with some lenders She can connect you to the people Who can get you pre-approved for a loan I always mention this ad read During the horse racing Because you probably know the name Cindy Carava If it sounds familiar She's the wife of horse racing trainer trainer Jack Carava Who's been a mainstay on the Southern California circuit For over 30 years I've known Cindy personally for over a decade She is one of the nicest 
sweetest, most genuine people you will ever meet. She will work hard for you. She's not going to bullshit you at all. And she will take great, great care of you. She covers North San Gabriel Valley, or she covers all of the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. If you're just curious to see how much your home is worth, she'll even do a free market analysis for you. Maybe you don't want to take my word. If you want to look her up, you can find her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can find reviews about her on Yelp or on Zillow. Easiest way to find all of her information, cindycarava.com. Send her an email, cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. If you have any personal questions, she'll help you out. Make sure to let her know. Gino said hi. Great, great friend, Cindy Carava. Close things out with the racing action. So Aqueduct has a big Saturday with the Cigar Mile. We have uh, some plays for you throughout the card at Aqueduct. December the 7th, Aqueduct, get your past performances out. We're going to go to race number one, the number one, first degree. Who was close up, was in between horses, uh, was down on the inside, was third, was waiting, was behind, was able to angle out and around, but was just no match for the top two. They had kind of slipped away a little bit. And now Javi jumps aboard for a barn that is excellent second time out. I'm going to use with the number three in some exotics, and we'll make a win wager on the number one first degree if we can get anything around four to one win wager. Race number two, Atomic Blonde is the play in here. This was a race that was actually carded a few weeks back and has been rained out a couple times. Atomic Blonde, I think we'll stalk and track and then get the jump on some of the closers like Feel Glorious, Tuned, Sorrentina Lemon, Shelter Island. I think those ones will probably be a little farther back, and I'm hoping Atomic Blonde sits, gets the jump. Anything around 7-2 to two will make a win wager. Look at some of the foes that Atomic Blonde has faced. No, uh, Nay, Lady Never, who's the grade 2 Miss Revere winner last time out. Creasy won an allowance next out, and then was second after that. So coming out of some good races, running style that should get a jump on most of the top contenders in the field. We're going to go with the number four, Atomic Blonde. We'll make a win wager at anything around 7-2. to two. Just the one horse to mention in race number five. Um, just a horse to maybe throw in some of your exotics. The number six, Moon, or the number, yeah, in the fifth race, the number six, Moon over Miami. Just think a horse to include in your early pick five or play in some exotics, expecting some improvement for from this one second time out. And with the, the stretch out to the mile. We're going to go to race number eight at Aqueduct for our next play. And that's going to be the number five, Alondra, who was actually favored in the grade one Alcibiades second time out. She won nicely in her debut. And when you watch that Alcibiades race, it actually wasn't a bad effort. She had a slowish start. She was two from the back. She was about 10 lengths off of it. And she was tucked inside. While the winner, British Idiom, sat a really close up fourth and was always in striking range. Alondra made a nice move up the inside. She had no room, so then she had to angle around, and she ran on really well. She was never going to win that race. She could have been a little bit closer, and she doesn't have to be so far back. We know she has a little more speed than she showed, so I don't think she'll be 10 lengths out of it in here. She's going to be a little bit closer. I think around 3-1, to one, we play Alondra to win. And then we move to race number 9. And we go to the number seven, Prince James, who was a debut winner at Monmouth. And then last time out, I think the only reason why Prince James is a big price is because he earned a really low figure, a speed figure on October the 27th. 
I still thought the race he ran was pretty good. He was favored that day. He was a step slow out of the gate. He angled off the rail to the two path. Then he was up into fourth, about five lengths off. He moved up really nicely. He was three deep at the top of the lane. He just couldn't get to the lone speed wire to wire winner. All cools. It was a clear cut second. He was actually favored that day. Now he adds the blinks. If his speed figure is slightly higher, he's a way shorter price. And that's why, even if he doesn't show up in here, I think he's absolutely good enough to compete with this group. Prince James. I'll be shocked if he's 15 to 1. Um, if he is, let's bet him to win. But I think anything over like 8, that, that's a real nice win wager on Prince James, the number 7 in race number 9. And then we're going to get to the Cigar Mile, which is race number 10. Now... We're going to see Maximum Security, the horse who crossed the wire first in the Derby and was DQ'd. And if Maximum Security wins this race, he's going to be right in line for top three-year-old. The concern that I have is that right next to Maximum Security, he's going to face a horse who is really in great form right now. And that is Spun to Run. And you'll say, ah, well, Gino, Spun to Run was well beaten in the Haskell. But remember, that was back in July. And look at what Spun to Run has done since then. Winning the Smarty Jones, winning the nice little prep at Parks, and he really wasn't even bad in the Pennsylvania Derby, and that's probably too far for him. And then he just crushed the field in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, and he took them gate to wire. I think Spun to Run right next to Maximum Security is not going to make it easy on Maximum Security. So I'm looking for someone who's going to sit a little bit. And I think I'm going to fi- I'm found another horse who's just probably too high of a morning line. Let's go to the eight network effect. Lightly raced, tons of upside. He has not... He hadn't raced from December of 2018 to November of 2019, and then when he came back on November the 10th, uh, November the 10th, I thought it was a, a pretty good effort. He sat nicely from the outside in the two path. He was four lengths off. He was in the clear. He was hooked three, four deep, but he was traveling pretty well. He moved up, got the lead, and he got a little tired late. He had every right to, and in his first start in what 11 months, he's got a ton of upside in here. If he just takes a little step forward, he should be working out a perfect trip behind what looks like a couple speeds in here. I go up and down the rest of this field. There's nobody that I see with the upside like network effect. So again, 15 to 1 to me just feels like a bad line. So if he gets bet way down, don't say, oh, that wasn't the price. He should be 8 to 1. If he's 6 to 1, that's worth the bet. So anything around 6 to 1 or over, we're going to make a wager on network effect. So that's at Aqueduct on Saturday. First race, the number one, first degree. Win wager at 4 to 1 using your exotics with the three. Uh, the second race, the number four, Atomic Blonde. If we get 7 to 2, we'll, we'll make a win wager. Fifth race, throw the six, Moon Over Miami in your exotics. Eighth race, the number five, Alondra. We get like three to one. We'll make a win wager. Maybe a horse to key some of your late exotics around. In the ninth race, the number seven, Prince James. If we get half of what he is, even eight to one, that's fair. And then network effect, same thing. No shot. He's fifteen to one. Anything over five, we'll take. You know, six to one seems like the line there. So there are your Saturday plays for Aqueduct. It's a bummer on Saturday at Los Alamitos. If you have the Los Alamitos past performances. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the Saturday races. There are two graded stakes races, a grade two and a grade one. In the grade two, Los Alamitos Futurity, we have four horses. 
It's a grade two race for $200,000 and there are four horses in the race. And what's sad is that the four runners in there are all pretty good. A new door wrecking crew who's multiple graded stakes place. A new door who was second, just beat in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And the horse who ran right behind him, wrecking crew, just beat in the, uh, was third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Thousand Words is an impressive Baffert first-timer. And High Velocity has been really good for Baffert through two. Grade three winner. But just a field of four. Any one of them can win. But where are all the other two-year-olds? A few weeks ago, and we've seen full cards of two-year-olds at Churchill Downs. At Gulfstream Park, tons of them. I think there's another card with a ton of two-year-old races at Tampa. If you were one of those trainers, and you had a nice horse who was a little precocious, why wouldn't you ship out for one of these races? This is a $200,000 grade two race, and it's only a field of four. Later on in the card... We have a $300,000 grade one race and it's only a field of five. Why wouldn't some of those horses from those two-year-olds ship out? There are so many of them in Florida, in Kentucky, some in New York. No race seven is the grade one starlet. The runner-up in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, Donna Veloce, she's going to be a heavy favorite. Uh, Bast will be the other favorite that takes a lot of money. So the second and third place finishers in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile run in the Futurity, and then the second and third place finishers from the Juvenile Phillies, they run in the Starlet, which is a grade one worth 300000 but they've only drawn five. Kind of head-scratching with so many two-year-olds in training right now, so many of these two-year-old cards, big two-year-old days all throughout the country, I just expected there'd be a few more here to show up in small fields to try to steal some money. Gulfstream Park for Saturday, it's Claiming Crown, Saturday at Gulfstream. Uh, we have a couple plays for you. Let's go to race number two. And let's go to the four. Fast pass. Since coming into the Peter Walder barn, this has been a a very, very consistent, really, really nice animal. And was so nice, they actually went over to Korea and took a shot in the Korea Sprint, which is a group one. And if you look who he was behind, he was behind a horse named Blue Chipper. Blue Chipper was third in the Breeders' Cup. You see Diamond Oops in the the running lines. That's a grade one place runner. Fast Pass hasn't raced since September. So as fresh for a barn who does well with fresh horses. And you'll look and you'll see Why Are You You Awesome and Brother Chubb, common rivals in the past performance line that Fast Pass has been behind. I think he's a better horse now. He's been really good for this barn. He's improved. He was competitive with Graded Stakes Company. In June, and now he's fresh. Fast pass. Anything around five to two will uh, will play a fast pass. Gulfstream Park race number ten, the number two third day. We're gonna make a win wager on this one, and anything around seven to two. He beautifully fits the conditions of this race, right? For three year olds and up, which have started for a claiming price of thirty five thousand or less since January first of twenty eighteen. Well, he's only started for a claiming price one time ever. That was for thirty two thousand. That was two starts back when he won. And then after that, he stepped up and he won again. So it was a drop in class, a confidence-boosting drop. And we know this horse has some back class. He's been competitive with graded stakes types. He's been in really good races throughout his entire career. I think it's a great spot for third day. We make a win wager on third day. Anything over 7-2. to two. 11th race, the number 4. Appreciato, 
just look at the string of races and go back and watch his last two. Very, very good. He's really versatile. Put a line through the Kentucky race, which was his first start in a few months, and you're left with a string of excellent, excellent horses. I just think he's in great form right now. Coming out of two of the real strong races, he's an obvious first level like allowance type horse and he's one who used to be a claimer but stepped up through the ranks and he's just been facing better as of late appreciato anything around five to one we'll make a win wager on the four appreciato so at Gulfstream park we have the three plays for you for saturday second race number four fast pass anything around five to two we're gonna get that fast pass at disneyland right in the right in the line uh 10th race third day not monday not tuesday not Wednesday. What day? Thursday. The third day. Thursday. Little little friends uh, comedy for you. That's Joey Tribbiani. Third day, 7-2. to two. We'll play that one. 11th race, the number four, Appreciato. Anything around 5-1, to one, we will uh, we'll play that one. Let's move to Sunday. So Sunday, December 8th, past performances. Get them out. We have plays for you. A couple at... Uh, two at Aqueduct, and then two at Los Alamitos. So the Aqueduct plays. Let's go to race number five. Maiden Special Weight, New York Breads. And I'm going to go to the nine. Banker's Daughter. Blinkers on Banker's Daughter. Her debut, I was a big fan of the race. She was mid-pack, in the clear, Made a slight bit up the challenge at the top of the lane, angled out, and then was a little bit unlucky behind a horse in the in the stretch who was kind of shifting around, and Banker's daughter had to alter course a little bit. I think she takes a nice step forward, second out, blinkers come on. Banker's daughter. If we get five to one, we'll make a win wager on the nine, Banker's daughter. And then in the seventh race at Aqueduct, the number six, Lifetime Memory. Debut winner. Second time out at Keeneland, slow start, moved up in between horses, but just didn't really seem to enjoy being inside of traffic in between. I'm expecting much better. I'm back to New York. Lifetime memory. If we get 7-2, to two, we're going to make a win wager on the 6th lifetime memory. So the two plays for December 8th for Sunday at Aqueduct. Fifth race, the number 9, Banker's Daughter. Seventh race, the number 6, Lifetime Memory. And then Los Alamitos will be our final racetrack for you on this episode. Let's go to Los Alamitos, December 8th. Get your past performances out. And let's go to the third race, and we'll go to Special Day. The number three. This course is proven at Los Al, but the race that I like was last out, where he had a tough trip on the grass. He was three deep in between horses going into the first turn. He backed out of a a tight spot. Then he got caught in between horses again. Has to wait for horses. He's in tight. He tries to go inside. There's nowhere to go. He has to tap on the brakes and angle around. Then he moves in between horses and he just misses second. He ran really, really well that day. He's run well over the dirt. I think he's spotted beautifully. Special day at 5-2. to We'll make a win wager on and we'll... Probably key in this course if you're playing any of the early exotics there at Los Alamitos. And then the fifth race at Los Al. Let's give a look to Loafer's Boy, the number seven. He completely missed the break. He got shifted out into the middle of the track, and he really had no shot after that start. He actually ran pretty well in spots. He made a middle bid before tiring. I think he's in a great spot here to improve. Loafer's Boy. I mean, he got action in that debut race at Del Mar. 
And this barn has really been rolling. In particular, they've done very well with horses making their second start in a small sample size. Not a big sample size for much with this barn quite yet. Loafer's Boy, the number seven. So the two plays at Los Alamitos for Sunday, the third race. The number three, Special Day, will make a win wager if we can get five to two or over. And in the fifth race, the number seven, Loafer's Boy, will make a win wager if we can get three to one or over. That's going to do it for me and for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Appreciate all of you listening. If you can go over to YouTube, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and subscribe, that would be great. Over on iTunes, if you can leave a nice five-star rating and review, those really help us. They move us up the charts. Give us a little five-star rating and, and tell them why you love That's What G Said Podcast. And Happy holidays to everyone. This is going to be a fun next few weeks as we transition from Thanksgiving on into Christmas. Always love hearing from you. If you ever have any questions, any comments, any selections that you want to share, any concerns about the show, if you ever have um, any segment or any topic that you think would be fun for me to discuss or for some of us to discuss with the guests, let me know. Just worked out uh, some new equipment too, so we'll be bringing on guests again uh, starting next week, so we'll get through that that Rolodex of some of the really great um, and really, really fun guests that we have and some of the good friends to bring back on. That's what G said. Good luck this weekend, folks. Talk to you soon.